It's RJ the week before week 17. I guess it is week 17, week before the new year. Special pared down edition. Fez and I head to head face off. Maddie Holt with a, an unavoidable family obligation. He's done a great job. His dedication to the pod. We'll have him back next week for the playoffs. I'll be candid. We're taping Wednesday. I had a lot of commitments on Monday and Tuesday that I typically don't have till later in the week. It's got me a little behind. So instead of trying to do a typical show half-assed, we're going to do a different show. We're going to do about an hour and just try to give you an hour's worth of good information. We're going to be more collaborative here, trying to come with picks we like together. And at the end, and let's be candid, during this week, information changes things more than any other. So one of the complaints, and again, the, the feedback's positive, vast majority. But one of the things people say is, oh, it'd be nice if the picks were identical on Wednesday. To, it's like, yeah, it's fantasy world. Like In a way, if we're betting on Wednesday as if we don't have the information we gain on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, that'd be stupid. <laughs> so the best we can do is give you the best information we have at any given time. That said, this week more than any other, I think, things change between Wednesday and Sunday. And thus, an unconventional approach of talking these games out and the logic behind them. Then, with whatever hat, let's say that the logic is, oh, because that quarterback's going to play, we're going to do this. If it ends up the quarterback's not playing, then it's easier to figure out maybe that pick doesn't apply as much. We'll see, but we're going to, I can promise you, nobody doubts, it's reasonable, that we're going to give you the best information we have at any given moment, including right now. Showtime! Woo! So which game do you like best so far? New York Giants plus one and a half hosting the Dallas Cowboys. Now, the primary reason for this bet, it's not back in the Giants, it's betting against the Dallas Cowboys, who I believe have become overvalued. Now, last three games, Cowboys are 3-0. and They won all three of those games by eight or more points. Looks super impressive on the scoreboard. But the reason the Cowboys are winning these games and getting these margins, turnovers. Cowboys are plus nine in turnovers. Now, that's good to be plus in turnovers, but turnovers are largely non-predictive. So the fact that the Cowboys have been averaging plus three turnovers per game explains why they've looked so good in these three games, and I don't believe it to be predictive going forward at all. Look no further than the line last week. The Cowboys were plus three in this game. Now the Cowboys are the favorite. I think there's been too much of a market reaction to that three-game win streak by the Cowboys. I want to fade the boys, back the Giants plus the one and a half. It's pretty logical to me. Um, huh, this is interesting. If you look at the Cowboys' net turnover EPA, so expected points added by just turnovers. So if you get them, you're going to have points added. If you give up turnovers, you're going to lose points. First 12 games, they lost 83 points in turnovers. Last three, they've gained 47 points. So, Mackenzie, that's an interesting number. Um could we get – let's think about this. So this isn't on a tur- – we don't have it per turnover. We have it per game, right? That's right. Do we have a sheet anywhere with all the turnovers? Yeah, I could, I could find the average uh, – Yeah, just be turnover. curious. But I don't think we need it for this show. But it would be interesting to say, 
okay, this team's plus three, and if each turnover, let's say, because obviously the most extreme turnovers would be worth, what, maybe 12 points? Yeah. If you're on the other one-yard line. Pick sixes, yeah. And, well, not every pick six, because if you're on your own 10-yard line, what's your expected value that drive? Pick not, six when you're in the red zone driving, yes. The DJ Metcalf yeah. tackles him at the one-yard line after a 90-yard interception return. That was like minus 11, I remember. Yeah, even though it wasn't, a and that six. would have been even more if they would have scored. Yeah. So, in general, pick six is always going to be worth the, you know, what do they get? I don't know if they give seven or whatever for a touchdown, but because it was so unexpected. But then it's like you've lost that drive yourself, you know. So, whatever points were expected on that drive, but in general, I don't have any great idea of what a turnover is worth. And the fact is, all turnovers are not created equal, and. I think by looking at just saying, oh, they're plus three, yeah, historically, if you just take averages, we can figure what that means. But I think it means a lot more to say, hey, they were plus three in turnovers. You know what, though? They weren't that valuable. That's it's, it's mitigated to some degree. But my guess is, and it doesn't, well, let's look at this. How many points did the Cowboys win by in those games? If you add it up, Mackenzie, the three games. One second, let me pull that real quick. Because then we'll compare that to the 47 and see net-net how they played other than the turnover. I think they won by 21-20. And yeah, we don't need a gas. 23-8-20 and a combined 51. Okay. So what we're saying is they would have outscored these uh, opponents by four points, and then you add in the turnovers. Yes. Now, we can't act like turnovers don't have any – thing to do with the team i think it's too easy and incorrect to say turnovers are not predictive at all tom brady aaron Rodgers throws less less picks than an average quarterback or worse so that's something mckenzie for us to think about for next or even for the playoffs is do we look at it and, and get into the turnovers and say let's attribute some blame here and understanding the interceptions thrown you know, we estimate about half of that, but I think it might be more than half is talent, at least in extreme cases. Yeah, May especially with teams passing more these days. I think there's more there's more skill involved with not throwing interceptions. That's an interesting... Yeah, I think you're right, because the more you do something, it's like play-action passing, right? It's easier to be a play-action passer because it's not expected. Yeah, so I think there's something... Or And, and to be candid, I also think... I wonder, should we consider who the quarterback is? Because if the Packers are not throwing interceptions, it feels like par for the course, and we feel more confident that it is skill. If someone else doesn't, you know, an average quarterback doesn't throw interceptions, is that, I mean, because in a way that Aaron Rodgers' ability is built into the line, I'll have to think that through. But in general, just looking at turnovers, is rudimentary compared to saying how much uh, was the net effect of these turnovers. But then I think we also got to take the luck and skill part and separate them, at least by estimate, and then take the luck. So you got to give the Cowboys even more credit because Andy Dalton hasn't been throwing interceptions. That's, that helps the plus 47 points in those three games. So we can't just say Cowboys only outperformed by four. We've got to say they outperformed by four plus the – non-luck part of the turnover ad yes but it's certainly something the public's thinking one thing and 
the truth is Dallas is less responsible for this dominating performance. But there is the idea of a self-fulfilling prophecy is wouldn't you agree Dallas's team in a week where motivation is a question for a lot of teams, probably not as questioned considering three straight, they'd be nice to win four straight entering the offseason, wouldn't you say? Oh, especially considering they have a very real chance to make the playoffs here. So they win this game, they get a loss by Washington, and they're in and the, the playoffs. And Washington's the night game, so Dallas will be motivated during the game, but the Giants will be too. Yeah, both I'd say the Giants are in the same boat. This is basically an elimination game. If Washington loses, who gets in? So both teams should absolutely be sky-eye. You could make the case that Dallas, what were they, like 3% to make the playoffs just three weeks ago? So here's an example where you could you could easily make the case during the last two months, this game is like the, the game Dallas would be the most motivated in, but I think it's being overpriced into the line. All right, so how, how do you assess the pricing of that? What's your power rating say? So power ratings have Dallas four points worse than an average team. Giants four and a half points worse. So I actually, with the Giants at home, one point for home field, have the Giants as a half point favorite. Pure power ratings. Okay. And we think in general motivations even, obviously there's the Daniel Jones factor. Yeah. So Daniel Jones has been hobbled. He had the hamstring in injury. He had a second injury. The last two games he's played, he has not been mobile. He hasn't even attempted to run one rushing attempt in those two games. And year-to-date, Daniel Jones has averaged about five rushes per game, so not nearly as good a quarterback when he can't run. And clearly the Giants are not nearly as good a team. Now the question is, will another week help Daniel Jones? Will he be able to improve? I'm not sure, but it's certainly a possibility. They must think he's better than Colt McCoy. Now the question becomes, if he's not, if he's as bad as he was last week, what should the line be in this game? I think at that point, Dallas should be a one-and-a-half-point favorite, right where the line is. And so Dallas would be a one-and-a-half-point favorite. Let me look at the, how this line has moved. So the look-ahead line last week was Dallas a three-point underdog, correct? Yes. And now I see they're a three-point favorite. Money just today poured in on the Giants, and it dropped down a point. Okay, so this is somehow still your favorite play? Yes. Well, listen, a lot of people are going to say, hey, this guy's not, you know, when you say that it's fine at three or you love it at three, but you still think it's the best pick at less than three, I think one, feel good that you were on it because I know you liked this yesterday. I, I mean, if you're on a side that moves pretty much after you like it, it's a good sign. But I question if this can be the best play at that point. At three, I can accept that. Now, the the Westgate line in the game is one and a half, so they caught the move. Yeah. I can promise you on our sheet it won't be the top play, though not that there's really top plays. I like the logic of the handicap for sure. Um, but here's something that I'm kind of confused by. It was three just 24 hours ago. And you're saying you think the line should be like one and a half or two if Daniel Jones is just as hurt. So you're saying there, w there would have been value on this game if Daniel Jones was as is as bad physically as he's been, there would have been value on this game. Yes. Wow. I hope, I, I hope to figure out those kind of handicaps. 
I do agree, though, that there was value. I'm not sure if there's any left. See, mm, it is a, a catch-22, though, because I don't believe that just because the line's moved, you, there can't be value at the current number. Now, I, I think that it's safe to just say, I don't get the best number, I'm not going to play it. Because really, for most people, it's like marginal hands in poker. Most people are going to benefit from that, of not playing those games. But as a real pro, you know, this came up when we were talking about the uh, playoffs in college football. And you had, I thought, a very insightful point. If you look at the three teams other than Alabama, their odds are pretty much the same or worse, or let me see, yeah, worse than they were. They, you know, they're paying less now that they're in the final four than before the season, right? Clemson's about the same. Ohio State was 320 plus 320. Now they're plus 650. And Notre Dame was 30 to 1. Now they're 25 to 1. It's like, how do you make the playoffs and not improve your odds? But Alabama was 5 to 1. Now they're minus 175. So Alabama's taken all the percentage chance, I guess, of winning. But does that mean that you can't possibly play those teams now, the other three? I don't think so. Because I think what the question is, given the givens today, are those good odds? It's a great point. And just, what, two weeks ago, Alabama was sitting there minus 100, and you could make the same argument. Oh, I can't lay minus 100 when I could add 5-1 to one back in July. Well, it turns out that was the best bet on the futures board because basically what has happened, what we expected, and now Alabama's laying well, the next— Well, what, what's happened since then, the last two weeks, you mean? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, we didn't expect Alabama was going to lose their finale. I mean, that would have been, you know, so unlikely— and now Alabama's laying an extra 70 cents, and it shows that really was the bet to make two weeks ago. Mm. I, that's interesting because I don't think Alabama improved in anyone's eyes from the Florida game. No. I mean, they didn't cover. But I think the case could be made Ohio State looks less formidable. Uh, that's a good point. And, and I think you can make the case, though, on the other hand, Clemson looks more formidable. It's possible Clemson could have just won against Notre Dame by a little bit, would have still made it, and now they wouldn't have been a viable of an opponent, but I think Clemson has to get upgraded significantly off that Notre Dame game. No doubt. So I would make the case that probably evens out, and thus is just the public waking up to how good Bama is. Yeah. Plus, I think when these lines came out, probably people, I don't think, I don't know, who would have thought Notre Dame would have been favored by 20 or what, or uh, underdog by 20, but I think it's got people who say, geez, how's Bama lose, you know, so... Who knows? It might be good at 175. <laughs> it might. All right. So, Giants. What's your second game? The second th game. below the Giants. Jacksonville Jaguars plus 14 at Indianapolis. Now, I can make the case everything has changed in terms of motivation for the Jacksonville organization. Just last week, they're looking at, oh, got a must-lose game. I got a tank for Trevor Lawrence. Now, I know the players. Now, who was thinking that? The organization, mm. the Jacksonville organization, certainly not the players. Players are going to play hard. But I do think that that's almost like a cloud over the organization that we feel we're better off losing than winning. Now, against the Bears, they actually did, Jacksonville, play hard for a half. And probably for the, for the entire game, third quarter, second half, they didn't play nearly as well. But now I go from – if I would – I can make a case of – how, much, how motivated is this team? I'd say not very motivated at all. Jacksonville, I, 
up to week 17. Now, I think very motivated. I got a team on a 14-game losing streak that suddenly has no disincentive to go out there and win a game. And given that being the case, and I'm catching 14 points, they're still being priced like a team that might be tanking. And I think there's... Uh, so let's quantify that. What's your power rating say? So power ratings, one second. Now what we can do is look at the history of the line here. The look-ahead line was Indy 12 and a half. And the close on the look-ahead was 12 and a half. World opener 14 and state of 14. So let's think about the net change that brought the in circumstances that made the line go from 12 and a half to 14. One, the Colts being the odd team out here are motivated. Now, I don't know if they would have clinched the playoff with the Steelers when I don't remember. But they otherwise, they might have been in a situation where like they can win here and still not make the playoffs. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. And let me let me know when I'm wrong about stuff, Steve. I appreciate. It. Is the reality is to me, I I think it hurts them because if before it was like you could lose and st- like they were going to need to win. It feels like I don't know if this makes them more incentivized. The fact that they could win out and still not get in, it feels like that's a negative. I don't know. Let's say their motivation was going to be high regardless, and it's high. I think at minimum, you could say, well, Jacksonville looked worse. They they didn't cover the spread. Adjust things, what, a half point maybe? Mm-hmm. But, you know, one of our basic premises is, and this is a new one, but it's strong, is later in the year, teams that are competitive in a game keep fighting. Teams that fall way behind tend not to. Jacksonville fought. They fell behind. Then they kind of gave up. I don't think necessarily they're going to fight from behind here, which makes me think, do you kind of look at maybe just playing money? If you do like dogs later in the year, Mackenzie, look at week 17, and let's look at all underdogs of seven or more. And I want to see what the record is ATS, but I also want to see what the money line record is. So week 17, all years, line seven or higher, the ATS record is 47% for the dog, and they win 18% of the time. Okay. And I guess the question is, what's the average spread? 10. Okay. So 10 is going to pay what on the money line? Plus 340. Okay. So 17 is not going to get you there. Yeah. That's interesting. I, I bet there's I now, you know what else I'd be interested in is see what percentage. Let's say you're losing at halftime by 10 points. All right. And it might take a while for you to do this. Take your time. And let's say it's week 17. You're a seven point or more dog, and you're down by 10. I have a feeling they're gonna win less. Or the margin in that, I guess the key will be just the margin. I think the margin in those games is going to be higher than, let's say, week one through eight, if you just do all that. Because the theory is, let's see if this is right, they do, the theory is they give up if they're down big. And thus, they would win, uh, the margin would be worse for these underdogs that are down big at halftime, the game margin. Does that make sense, McKenzie? Yeah, so we're looking at week 17, uh, when the margin is less than 10, no, 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 no. 
at, at half? No, 10 or more. We're looking at the opposite, saying if a team's getting blown out, what happens? And check that against the like, week one through eight as the example of the non-late in the year. Yeah, I'm on it. All right. So I agree with you, Steve. I don't see any reason this line. Like, make the case the line should have gone up. The only case would be Indianapolis is more motivated. Except I don't see how they, they, they were going to have to win anyway, one way or the other. And right? I actually think that Indianapolis could well be distracted. If they open up a, a double-digit lead, they need one of three teams mm. to lose. And I could see them looking up at the scoreboard and being distracted by, you know, hey. There's only three teams? Yeah. They need all three. They need, all th they, they need one of the three to lose, Miami, Cleveland, or Tennessee. Okay, and Tennessee. They're laying seven and a half. Or Baltimore, too, but that's, that's a big line. Yeah, so Baltimore's the fourth team? Yeah. So it's four? Yeah. Not three? All right. Uh, that's an interesting point. So you're saying they get up, 17. And, you know, this brings up another point, is I would love to find situations. I love a parlay that feels correlated where, in, again, the NFL just in the last couple of years has done a much better job of lining these games up. But I think there's situations where if a team, uh, like there's some, something a team needs that isn't, like if it's later in the game and it hasn't happened yet, it might become very unlikely to happen. You know, maybe it's a situation, and we'll think these through, but let's think with the Colts. So you're saying, in a way, what might be fun is have a four-team parlay on the four teams that need to win money line parlay and then the fifth side be the colts uh or would be the jags on the spread so the theory is if all four of those teams are up by seven or ten and the fourth all of a sudden the colts get deflated yes but i i think it would be reasonable to think ah, one of those games probably be close and i don't think the colts will get to but, but that brings up an interesting point Maybe what we'd want to do is like a four-team pleaser. Yes, that would make more sense. And then the theory, so we wouldn't need, uh, or we wouldn't even necessarily need to do a pleaser because some of these lines are like 10 or 14. So the theory is if they're up by, if we just play them on the spread, maybe we don't do the money line. The money line would work if the Colts game was after, right? Because then, but what we're saying is if they're laying 10, and they're up by 21. Colts don't care that they're laying 10. Coaches know they won, they're pretty much going to win that game. So let's think about that. So the four teams, and, get, and let's do the lines in each. Baltimore. It's laying 13. All right, so if they're covering, they're discouraging mm -hmm. at a certain point for the Colts. All right, next one. Miami, plus two and a half. All right, so that's the one you'd probably want to do a pleaser or something on. Go ahead. Cleveland, lay nine and a half. All right, so I think that's just enough on the spread, yeah? And Tennessee minus seven and a half. Yeah, so I think the, the Miami's the one that that doing an alternative line would be cool, I think, if possible. But, like, you know, Miami, like, laying seven and a half and those other ones, and then Jacksonville feeling like there's a correlation. Now, obviously, this is too much. And it's also betting a lot of things I want to fade probably because you're betting teams that the public knows need to win. But that's the theory. Can we find a scenario that if this happens, it's going to discourage a team? When, 
And actually, is that something you can get at in-game? I'm assuming you can. Yeah, I think I want enough time to be able to do this, but maybe half time. That, and, and this is the time, frankly, where the, the Colts are going to check the scoreboard at halftime. And if you've got all these teams winning already, I don't even know if you have to play the parlay at that point. Uh, yeah, you, I think you can just fade the Colts. Play, you're only playing the parlay to say you're trying to create that if this scenario happens, you have an edge. Well, if you're betting in game, you just need to wait. If it happens, bet it. If you don't, if it doesn't, don't. Yeah, yeah. So I don't think you have to even play the correlation parlay as much as wait for the results. And I think something very similar is going to happen in the NFC. What if Green Bay smashes Chicago? All of a sudden, the Saints know they can't get the top seed. And so at halftime, if Green Bay's like up 24, it wouldn't surprise me if uh, you didn't see the Saints empty their bench in the second half. Things to look for here in Week 17. Okay, so speaking of the Saints, Green Bay. <laughs> Glad I brought it up. Might be time for you to uh, explain to the world what happened. Yeah, I got snookered by RJ on national radio. So before the show, RJ asked me to get out my abacus and price out. What's the chance that the Saints can get the number one seed? So I crunched all the numbers, and RJ complimented me. Oh, your numbers match 538's numbers. Very nice they job. They did, right? Yeah, 16%. Very good. You know, he says, you know what? It's very nebulous. You know, the Saints only have about a 1-in-5 chance that them winning is going to get them the number one seed. I don't know if they're going to try hard, Steve. I might make but a they, bet. They need a buy. Yeah, yeah. I might, I might make a bet with you that uh, Saints um, – don't get the number one seed. I'm yeah, gonna I mean, give, I would offer you a juicy odd. Yeah, I'll give you 10 to 1. So immediately the light bulb goes on. Boom. Like RJ's ten dumb. To one. RJ's give dumb. Me 10 to one. <laughs> I'm going to roll, I'm gonna roll a dice. And if, I hit, if I hit the, the hey, number. We do have a bowl of dice I'm going to roll the die. And if a one comes up, I'm going to get paid 10 to 1. Looks good to me. Absolutely. So then on national radio, RJ says, Fez, we talked about this before. I want to bet you that... Uh, the Saints won't get the number one seed along with Green Bay getting number two. And well, it's, it's Saints. I mean, who, yeah, Saints first, Green Bay second. And so immediately, the, like, the breakers are going off in my head. And I'm like, wait a minute, what is this Green Bay two? Well, Green Bay is clearly, like, at the top of the standings. So yeah, they how, don't do you, get how would you drop from one? Exactly. They'll go, to, they'll go to two. But I'm like, but RJ, I don't know about this Green Bay number two. And RJ what do you mean you don't know about number two? You know, it's Green Bay. And then he's like, dead air, Fez. And I'm like, wait, wait, I didn't say dead air. You, you were just I was, silent. Yeah, for like I, five I, I know seconds. dead air is bad, bad, like Rain Man, you know. <laughs> so I said, all right, yeah, I'll bet a dime, ten yeah, to cause one. Because I, I wanted to give him an ample opportunity to to get all the appetite he had for risk. So I said, how much would you bet? And you said a dime, and I said bet. And then I very gingerly let you know that there's no scenario that the Saints can get first and Green Bay get second. You know, I just read, again, that Stewie Unger book, One of a Kind. Uh-huh. And, he was, and he was getting hustled by Bob Stupak. Mm-hmm. And, like, they're pitching coins and stuff. And Stupak's, You don't want to pitch quarters with me, by the way. Yeah, yeah. That is one of my strong suits. Stupak apparently was pretty good at it, too. And so um, Stupak goes, let's go 1,000 on, on, on these flips. And Stewie said, bet. <laughs> Confirmation. See, I mean, don't you aspire to be like Stu Unger? In some ways. Exactly. But you can't <laughs> split it up, Steve. Mackenzie, what was your thinking on that? Like, did you get any sense w- when it was happening? It, it was like one of those movies where something happens and then they have a montage of everything that happened. <laughs> it all made sense. 
<laughs> I was going to bring him in on it, and I thought, no, that's good. That, that just increases the risk of a problem. And <laughs> ah, I enjoyed it. Because in a way, I want to teach the kids that your mind, you know, remember Apollo Creed said, be a thinker, not a stinker. <laughs> but, you know, all joking aside, I didn't care about the thousand. I mean, you know. I I want it. I didn't care about the thousand though. <clears throat> I do, but I'm going to act like I don't because I wanted to teach you a lesson. Because if you did the work, you would have figured it out. Instead, you got Mackenzie doing the work. You got 538 doing it. And listen, you do a great job of aggregating information. You do your area of expert. But I think sometimes you feel like you're like you're like the guy that's won a couple, you know, like two super contests. You got a little bit of a, like, entitlement sense to you. And I felt like punishing that because I was grinding. Here's what I know. I was flipping through 538, doing some scenarios, and it dawned on me that a certain scenario didn't make sense to me, like what the odds were. So I went and spent 40 minutes where I got all eight of the possibilities with Seattle, win-win, you know, being the third team, win-win-win, lose-lose-lose, all eight possibilities, and got the odds of each one, and it was like, okay, now this is making sense, and then I saw, look, there's only one scenario that, that though everyone's talking about New Orleans and the number one seed, there's only one way it happens, right? And it's mm -hmm. specifically a win by Seattle, a win by New Orleans, and a loss by Green Bay, and in that case, because, and it's funny, that's why Seattle needs to win because it makes it the head-to-head -head not matter between Green Bay when there's three teams. So I felt like it would be like the Greek drama, dramas, the idea that it would be just. Like, it's not just that something happened, but it happened for the right reason. You know what I'm saying? It's like someone who was, like, working extra hard. You know what it would be like? It would be like someone that would clean tables to get through college. But then they were going to get kicked out of school because there was a cheating scandal. But the night before, he's still cleaning tables, even though he's going to get kicked out of school. But he finds his exoneration underneath the seat hmm. of the table. right? So if he wasn't a guy to clean tables, he wouldn't have found it. So I felt like... It, and in a way, I thought I was an underdog to get you. But I was free rolling. But to me, the fact I did tells me Zeus and Apollo spoke in a way. And I feel a little bit like Apollo Creed in the original movie. Remember when um, his um, trainer's like, Champ, why don't you take a look at this boy you're going to fight? Looks like he means business. And okay, so am I, I'm Rocky in this case. I'm Apollo Creed, I so you're Rocky. Yes, you're Rocky. You're that, Rocky. That doesn't seem correct, but go ahead. Look, it, it looks like he means business, and, and Creed's like, yeah, yeah, I, I mean business, too. Now, Shirley, can you get me some coffee here, and let's talk about this international bond fund. Distracted. You, you know what's funny, Mackenzie, is now that he's just motivated me to do this to him again, <laughs> <laughs> that will be Zeus and Apollo, not Creed, talking. All right, speaking of your... <laughs> decision-making prowess. We've got a bet with Kansas City. You want to share everyone about that? Yeah, so we are debating how many teams would you need and what the odds would be to take who's going to win the Super Bowl. And I said, well, clearly Kansas City's favorite over one team. 
Clearly, Kansas City's favorite over two teams. I didn't think they would be favorite over three. And I thought they'd be a pretty big favorite over two teams. I priced it and said, you know what? I'd be willing to take the Chiefs minus 135 against any two teams you come up with. And as time is, and this has been, what, Monday? As a few days have gone by, you've reevaluated. I have, yes. So what do you think the odds are? So I'm breaking it down. I think Kansas City might have about a 31% chance to win the Super Bowl. But the problem is that I think if the second, third, and fourth best teams are all over 10% right now. So the cumulative effect of taking two other teams, they're probably 24% or so. So not that much different. Kansas City being at 32%. So that would be, and I might be optimistic on Kansas City and pessimistic on those teams. But even with those numbers, that would justify like what a minus 125 only line. So what you're saying is, even if your optimistic view is right, I got the best out yes. of it. Yes. And if you're not right, I got even more of the best out That's of it. That's correct. That's what I like. I like there to be two possibilities. One is I make a something, and the next I make more. You have a small edge or you have a big, big edge. That's, that's the way I tend to try to live life. It's unclear which. <laughs> Mackenzie, just throughout the show, I want you to, because we got to decide on my second team. One of the teams is going to be Green Bay. We got to decide on my second team. Um, it's really between the Saints and the Bills. Yeah. And I want to make the Bills because Fez is, uh, you're exposed for, you're thinking what, it's six, six, six dimes? Six grand. Against Maddie if the Bills win. So if I can make the Bills increase your exposure there, it will make it where you don't want Bills. So just to be clear here is, because if you say no now, I'm, I'm just, I'm not going to accept it, is, but if you say yes now, I'll consider it. Do you want to offer me a slightly better odds if I go Saints? No. Okay. So, Mackenzie, compare, what, Super Bowl odds right now, what do we got for the Saints? What do we got for the Bills? I know that the Saints are seven and a half and the Bills are eight. Okay, so right now the Saints are a little higher. Yeah, that's right. Okay. So the question is, so you're thinking if I take the lesser team by, you know, 50 cents, I guess, uh, you feel like your odds are better of winning. So though you don't like the extra jumbo risk on one team, it's worth it if you get 50 cents. Yes. All right. Mackenzie, you got some good – I'm going to think on this. Mackenzie, you got some good stuff here on my ideas on week 17. You want to run through it? Yeah, we were talking about the new concept – uh, new old concept of teams that in the second half of the year, especially if they're big dogs, are tend to give up. Well, the numbers bear if they're it down, out. if they're down in the game, yeah, the numbers bear it out amazingly. The second half of the year, if you're a dog of seven plus and you're losing by ten at half, you win about two percent of the time. First half of the year, it's better than four percent of the time. So you're twice as likely to come back first half of the year down big as a dog versus second half of the year. Now think about this. This is this is exactly correct. Two point one percent week eight through seventeen. 4.2% week one through eight. Now, I'd be interested if you look like 12 through 17 because I would have not thought necessarily week nine would be meet the criteria yet. So I wonder if it's even more extreme. No, it's about the same, 2.2. Okay. So it'd be interesting to find where the break point is. For some reason, I was looking at this, weeks four through eight are about like 7%, by far the, the most. Oh, that's interesting. Why would that be? Huh. Now, you got this here about losing by 10 and a half 
Yeah, uh, that was just week 17. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Episode. Excellent. Excellent. Okay. And 4.2. Boy, that, I mean, if I would have said that there's, and, and I mean, how many hundreds, like the, in the first half, second half, how many games were you looking at? Thousands. Every game since 1989. Yeah. So thousands of games. That's amazing. I would it? think teams would be more likely to like mail it in weeks 13 through 15, say this isn't our day. If it's the last game, you know what surely I, you can play to the final whistle, right? Yeah, I think that's – but really, the real stat that matters here is the fact that if you look at week 8 through 17 versus 1 through 8, that one's 2.1 and one's 4.2. So it's double, and that's telling us that idea again that Mike Lombardi – he had it buried in a monologue, and it was just like gold to me because I had never heard it. Is you got to jump, and you know it's funny. Aaron Rodgers, and maybe we just jump to that Green Bay game real quick and talk about it. He said something on the uh, Pat Mac- McAfee show that said he goes, "I love the cold weather." You know, talk about all that this week, and he said, and especially if you jump on them early, because if you jump on them early. He goes, it just gets colder out there. And it seems like, one, something to think about. Next bad weather game, let's look at, you know, let's look at Green Bay first half. Let's look at over, maybe. But also just that idea. There's a player saying in the cold, there's a tendency to just want to go home if if it feels like a lost cause. Really hard to tackle. Your fingers are hurting. Yeah, I I think in general, all the things about the cold that make it hard to want to be motivated – it becomes a much more prominent emotion if the core reason to be there winning the game is no longer part of the motivation. If you feel like you've kind of lost, why then you especially don't want to be there. Yeah. So. And that certainly seemed to p- play out against Tennessee, right, when we saw that game in the snow and Green Bay just ran all over him with both the running backs. I think it's important to realize here and just really take a moment with it is how – shocking this these numbers are i mean the idea that if you're down big at half so this is a situation where you're a touchdown or more underdog and you're losing by double digits at half is at a certain point of the year you win 4.2 percent of the time at a certain point of the year you win half that much if that doesn't prove like to a statistical certainty that these players are affected differently based on the game scenario, which I've never heard that discussed. Have you? Never. So, I mean, this is a powerful concept that's really getting world premiered. You saw the sausage being made. Pretty powerful. Only in dreams. That's what I was thinking. Continuing with the Green Bay game, do you think that Aaron Rodgers feeling the advantage of the home field? So it's one, it's like, let's say you have a car service, and typically you take it for granted, but it was a particular day that it's raining cats and dogs, other people are doing this or that, or maybe let's say you have a special pass to be in the uh, carpool lane or something. And, and you look over, and the other lanes are just to a halt, and you're zipping by. You're going to say, I like this. I like this bad. 
does this motivate Green Bay, focus them even more to say, yeah, Lambeau is an advantage even in this COVID year. The weather, the slickness of the turf or the grass, does that help? And I get it. You could say they're always going to be focused. It's like, ah, there's degrees of it. Do you think it increases their focus? Big time. And part of the reason, obviously, that cold, that I mean, that's a big edge when you're used to it. But think about some of the no-shows Green Bay has had the last two years. The game in Florida at Tampa Bay where they got rolled in a hot weather game. But even the year before, they had they played two games in warm weather sites and got absolutely crushed in both of those games on the road. And I can't help but the team thinking, you know what? We uh, just are so much more comfortable in Lambeau in those confines. Anything else in that game? I'm looking. One second. All right, so. Oh, yes. I think, I think Chicago is overrated because Chicago caught – I think two really good breaks. Jacksonville with questionable motivation, whether they wanted to win. And obviously Houston, the warm weather team and the cold weather without any wide receivers. Yeah, the cold weather had nothing to do with that. Oh, it was like it was like 48 degrees. I mean, all right. So, I mean, winning the game's enough. To act like 48 is cold. Like we were, I liked Houston in that game. I was wrong about that game, but it wasn't the cold. All right. If you look at the Green Bay Chicago since 1993, so this is Dick's last, or since he was fired, Packers 66% against the spread. Yeah, 75% straight up, but hey, who's the better team? They're going to win most of the time. Two out of three. Now, what's the rationale there? I mean, is it just a matter of, the, the the organization, I mean, sometimes rivalries are kind of more one way than the other, right? The Browns and the Bengals get more worked up about Pittsburgh than Pittsburgh does. It hasn't necessarily helped them over the years, but is this a situation where Chicago doesn't look at Green Bay the same? Because if it's just how good Brett Favre was or it, it, it was and how good Aaron Rodgers is, then the ATS wouldn't. It's not like uh, the Packers have been some great ATS team over those all those years. I mean, they've been decent the last twenty or so. I mean, like they've been they're like fifty they're like fifty four percent, you know, since I think two thousand three. So I just happen to know that because I've looked at uh, Belichick so many times since then, and they're usually there around fifty four and change. Why would they be sixty six percent in all those years? So what are we looking at? Uh, Eighteen years almost. And I just looked this up. They're 53% since 93 overall. Yeah, okay. So that's good. But there's a big difference from 66 to 53. Well, it's certainly not a one-way rivalry. The Packers hate the Bears. So they're favored in the majority of these games. Well, I thought if it was one way, it was going to be the Bears don't take it as seriously. Oh, interesting. Because that's why it would be an edge, right? The idea that Green Bay takes it more seriously. Mm. Because Green Bay is the one at 66%. Right. But Green Bay is the team that's favored in most of the games. Okay. Um, so I thought, I, I thought normally, rivalries are supposed to favor underdogs. Always, right? Because the theory yeah. is they always have motivation where oftentimes underdog motivation is a question. Yes. So. I don't, I, I'll, I'll, say, I'll say this. When a game's in Lambeau, it looks like 98% of the fans are Green Bay fans, at least when there's games in Soldier Field in Chicago. Now, that's interesting. You want to do a home way split on that? Yep. Okay. That's interesting. All right, so let's keep moving. What's your uh, so? What was your second game? Jacksonville plus fourteen. Okay, okay. Anything else in that? No. 
All right, so. And it's 71% for the Packers at Soldier Field. So that, that. that's pretty good. And what is it? Is it what? Uh, 61, the other one? 60? 59. Okay. Yeah, that's, in, that's probably part of it. That's a good catch. I like that. Um, so, Colts, we identified their offense has gotten better. Their defense has gotten worse. Is that what you saw in the Pittsburgh game? Yeah, absolutely. They didn't lose because of their offense. They were up 24-7 with the ball with five minutes to go. In the and, third quarter. Yeah. And the when defense. You say five minutes to go. In the, oh, yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. Right, sorry. Yeah. Sorry. And the offense had done enough, frankly. All they had to do was punt the rest of the game. They'd exceeded their expectations, and the defense just got torched the rest of the game by the Steelers. Kenzie, do me a favor. Let's look at some expected points added. And again, I'm not fully prepped this week. I apologize. But we should, we'll get there and we're going to move pretty quick. Is um, just, you know, it's fine wherever that Colts break point is. It seems interesting. I don't know exactly where it is. Uh, maybe just look at the scores, assess that. And then uh, I want to see where the Colts are on defense and offense from then through weeks, you know, through the most recent game. That is a great idea because I can tell you that the Colts have played a schedule chock full of really good offenses, not as good defenses. Tennessee twice, Houston twice. Um, Las yeah, but Vegas. If, I, if that's the case, that mitigates the stats, right? It, it'll mitigate it, yes. Yeah. So, you know, along those lines, maybe let's just look at the super sheet and look at the football outsiders, and let's just take an average of them, you know, and, and obviously we're going to have an arbitrary start point here, right? Yeah. So if you look at week 10 when they beat – week 10 and earlier after they beat Tennessee, 34-17, they're averaged well, – so, so, so 34-17 to me – that's when their offense was doing well and the defense was doing okay. So let's include that in the early year. Yeah, and you asked me to look this up. They were allowing 20 points per game up until that point. After that, it was 29. And the, their average DVOA for the first part of the season was 28%, which is great. Would be right there at the top of the league. Now, are we talking about offense or defense? Uh, their total DVOA. All right, so I'm not interested in that. What I'm interested in is what their offense was and their defense was in the first time period and then the same in the second. Because what we're saying is they've gone from being, and the stats I remember is they were around 15th on offense and 15th on defense, and then they went to like 30 on defense and then like five on offense. So Yeah, so their, their average DVOA for the first part of the season would have been first. It's, uh, I'm, go ahead. It's right around 17th right uh, since then. Uh, and what are we talking about, offense or defense? Their defense. Their offense has been slightly better. All right, so let's slow down now. Slow down. So you're saying from game what through game what they were number one in DVOA? Game one through game 10. On defense? Yes. The best defense? Yes. And then game 10 or 11 through 15, they were what? They would be 17th. Okay. So they've dropped 17 slots, and this is accounting for strength of schedule. Mm. All right. So do the same thing on offense? All right, one second. So I think, you know, the question is we, we certainly want to look towards the over, I think, with the Colts in general. You know, is Jacksonville a spot for that is the question. Because in theory, you'd think that the defense gets perked up from, you know, intensity must win usually means offense and defense and maybe even more defense, right? Because mm -hmm. it takes more will. You ready or you need a little time? Uh, just need, need one second. Yeah, take your time. Jacksonville's starting running back is out, which probably helps the over because they really don't have a backup. 
of any um, uh, talent level at all. So because of that, Jacksonville should be throwing most of the game. And the quarterback situation for Jacksonville, how do you assess that? Glennon's going point and a half downgrade versus uh, Minshew. However, Glennon's playing for, you know, trying to put out a resume going forward. So he's fully max motivated. And I got those down. So on offense, first 10 games of the year, they're about average. We rank 16th. Since then, they would rank 7th. Okay. So we've got a movement of 16 spots down on defense and a movement of nine spots up on offense. That's a lot. Yeah. All right. Good job. And that's DVOA we're looking at. Good job. Thank you. Okay. Next game. Next game, third, number three pick, San Francisco, plus six, hosting Seattle. I'm going to make the case that the 49ers are undervalued. I'm going to go back to turnovers here. So uh, what happened three weeks ago? San Francisco lost to Washington, minus two in turnovers. Then they lost to Dallas, minus four in turnovers. And because of those two losses, I think this team is undervalued. Now, last week, San Francisco did win a close game against Arizona, but um, San Francisco actually dominated the stats. If you look at a yards per play, seven yards per play gave up 4.4. So had very much um, San Francisco. The book is, hey, this team is absolutely done, not playing well. But a big part of it is. I'm sorry. Turn. So last week, the result in the Arizona game was what? Um, San Francisco did win the game by eight, but they okay, dominated so the stats. So maybe that I shouldn't even have brought that up. I should have brought I'm up confused. the other two games. They, they won the game yeah. by eight. You're saying they should have won by more than eight? From a yards per play perspective, yes. And how do you equate? Like, how many? What was the yards per play? And explain how many. San Fran had seven point two. Arizona had four point four. So how many points is that supposed That'd to be? That'd be a twenty point win. Okay. All right. And what else? So, you think that San Fran was under or is underrated because of the game they won as an underdog by eight? Continue. It was the losses to Washington and Dallas when but they were you minus. We're talking about the that that's forget forget the like, Arizona. I know you win. like to talk, but you kind of got to say something that matters. Right, right. So the, forget the Arizona win. It's really those two losses in the games before that I think San Francisco's undervalued. So explain to me why they should have won the game. Because they were minus two and minus four in turnovers, and they handily won the stats in both games. Okay, so my so minus two minus so minus six in total, and Nick Mullins was throwing a lot of interceptions. So it's hard to kind of say that's luck, right? Nick yeah. Mullins throwing interceptions isn't luck. C.J. Beathard has replaced him. Okay, so you aren't talking about that. Yeah. So that's a positive, you know that you don't if you don't trust Mullins, he's not going to be behind center. All right, the hit man Fez might not have got the text. The hit man. Uh-oh. Has the best bet on Seattle, but in the first half. Let's listen. Best bet, Seahawks minus three for the first half against San Francisco. The reason we're playing the first half in this game is because Pete Carroll has said that they're going to go for the one seed. But if the Saints or Packers are winning by margin in the second half of their games, there's an outside chance that we could see Seattle start to sit some guys in the second half. 
San Francisco's biggest weakness on defense is the fact that they're 31st against throws over 15 yards downfield, which is the strength of Russell Wilson's game. When they played earlier this season, Wilson had four touchdown passes, and he had success against them last year when the 49ers had their defense fully healthy. Seahawks' pass defense, last six games, only allowing five and a half yards per attempt, and San Fran is not only down Debo Samuel and Brandon Ayuk, who are the top two receivers, but they're also missing players on the offensive line as well as missing players on the defense. I'm expecting an all-out effort, at least in the first half, for Seattle. Best bet, Seattle, minus three, first half. The translucent one, 5'11". 137 pounds see-through skin. They call him the hitman. It's not because he's tough. Seattle minus three in the first half. San Fran's D is 31 against deep passes. Boy, I think Russell Wilson throws a nice deep ball, doesn't he? And uh, Metcalf and Lockett catch a nice deep ball. No yeah. doubt about that, especially that DK Metcalf's just fantastic. And if you think about it, Seattle's D, it's all blended this season but as he mentioned, last five games allowing less than six yards per attempt. And that's one of your favorite advanced analytics, Faz, yards per attempt. Yeah, the C it's true. The Seattle D, we're talking about them being a bottom five defense, I think, back in September. They have absolutely turned around. Seattle's D is playing much better. But the hitman, a.k.a. translucent one, he actually is smart enough to say, you know something, Seattle might rest players if the Packers winning and they got nothing to gain. And thus, why not isolate the first half? You follow? I think that's strong. And maybe what I sh a stronger play on mine, let me isolate the second oh, half. Oh, look, you're, 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 you're lifting. This is good. People are seeing it live, how it happens. I'm just taking the information and looking for, exactly, other, taking, for other bets. So if, if, I'm, if, if, if the hitman is concerned about the second half because of something that might happen, well, if it does come to fruition and Green Bay is up 20 at halftime, all of a sudden I should, if I already like San Francisco for the game, I should love San Francisco then in the second half. Okay, so how, do you wait till halftime and, and then based upon the Green Bay score, you bet accordingly? Yes, that would be a much bet, bigger bet and a better bet. I like that. That's a pretty strong one. Pretty strong. All right. Next game. Next game, my number two weight. So fourth strongest game, Buffalo Bills, minus the two and a half, hosting Miami. The only way this line can make sense is if the Bills are not putting forth their full effort in this game. Now, I know there could well be uh, advantages for the Bills to do exactly that in terms of who their opponents may be. Do they want Miami in the playoffs? So maybe they can play Miami potentially down the road. But I don't see the Bills as a savvy playoff team that's been to the playoffs the last eight years that is used to these sort of scenarios. I see Buffalo as a team that is having a breakout year at 12-3. and three. The entire team, the entire city is ultra excited, and I think they want to finish 13-3 and three and put a punctuation mark on what has been a fantastic season and, frankly, a team that has just gotten better in the second half of the year. I like the Bills. So let's talk about the Bills and the various wins and losses this year. I made the case from straight out of Vegas that the Bills potentially literally – Maybe they legitimately have one and a half losses. If you were saying, like, what's the fair grade? 
Why don't you break down what your thoughts are on that? Yeah, well, this was your work, and I thought it was really solid. You uh, talk about the Hail Mary where the Bills were, what, 98% or so before that very last play. Bottom line is they should have won that game at Arizona. Let's look at their other two losses, and both of those were really bad scheduling spots. The first one, Bills didn't even know who they are going to play. And then finally, late in the week, they find out, hey, you're playing Tennessee on Tuesday. And they lost by a lot, but – it was a, a situation where it was such a weird case where they thought they were going to be playing the Chiefs for a while, and then they had to go ahead and wheel on short notice to play a different opponent on a Tuesday, and then they dropped that game. And, oh, guess what? You're going to come right back and play on a short week the next Monday against Kansas City. And at that time, you know, Kansas City was playing a lot better as well. So that was really a double and, whammy I mean, back-to-back a, weeks. And it was a nine-point margin I mean, you got to give them some demerits for losing the game. But they're playing better now, too. I mean, I think the case could be made that in the last eight weeks, and I'm just taking that because it's half a season, that Buffalo's playing the best. Yeah, I could make the case they, they played one bad game. They won it. They beat New England by three. That's the worst game that they played the last nine. Mackenzie, do me a favor. Let's just look. This would be interesting. Let's just look at... I think eight weeks makes sense. Doesn't matter if they played seven or eight games. I think just taking the mean of the net DVOA, uh, and let's just look at the top teams. Let's just look at Kansas City, Buffalo. I think we can put Pittsburgh in there just as a gauge. Pittsburgh, and then we can look at New Orleans, Green Bay. I don't think anyone else thinks, I mean, no one thinks Seattle's second best, you know. There you go. So we got, what is that, five teams? Yeah, KC, Pitt, Buffalo, Packers, Saints, right? Yeah, I mean, are we, we're not missing anyone important, are we? Seattle and Baltimore would be the other two. Yeah, I don't, Baltimore, come on. Ah, they're the second best team I've ever seen. Ah. I think I called them one of the great teams of all time earlier this season. Ouch. <laughs> well, I, listen, there were times that's valid, we're regular season against bad teams. Yeah, right. one of the great bullies of all time. He smells. Those brothers. All right, so as McKenzie's doing that, anything else in this game, Fuzz? Yeah, I know Miami's max motivated, but the weather isn't good for a team from Miami. It's going to be in the 30s. Oh, you sure it's not the high 40s? Well, it's either going to be snow, sleet, or cold rain. So it's got to be right around 32. So I think it's going to be like 34 degrees. And I got a quarterback, Miami, too obviously from Hawaii, the quarterback for Alabama, and now he has to play in Buffalo in the wintertime. Can't be good. Well, you just make stuff up, don't you? What, what is it? Where, where? I mean, you don't, you act like Hawaii didn't have any bad weather when Tua was coming up. Excuse me? You act like Hawaii didn't have any bad weather. Not any we- cold bad weather. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, but how do you assess the hand size situation? You know, I forgot what Tua's hands size is wow luckily we've got some archival footage on or archival audio on that the bigger the hands the better obviously you're talking about the difference between russell wilson at 10 and a half inches i was at russell's pro day and i said did you see his hands they're ginormous and joe burrow with his tiny minuscule baby doll hands turns out Joe Burrow needs to look for something else to do with his life. Now, if I recalled, 
though too it wasn't in the spoof there but that's all legit stuff it was just slightly rearranged but um two you know if i recall was compared to burrow much bigger hands so um yeah, 10 inches. It, it, yes so hands so i'm not saying that's the only factor but i i just i don't know i i guess i've just grown up where it's hard to win and just the idea that it's like, oh, this team is from the, uh, you know, uh, south. Oh, it's cold. It, it's like, it feels like that's something that's either not going to matter as much as it seems like it should, or maybe I don't even know if it seems like it should, or it's going to be accounted for. This idea that it's some mystery, that no one knows where Miami is or no one knows where Buffalo, it's just hard to believe it's an inefficiency. But, you know, it sounds like a good off-season research project because Pro Football Reference has the temperatures on every game, and we know which teams are from the mm -hmm. South. So, you know, it's something we can check. I'm skeptical. So the DVA or DVOA last eight games, oh, that's interesting. New Orleans is a 48. And, again, it's hard to know what a 48 means, but it's number one. Buffalo's a 37, Green Bay's a 34, Kansas City's a 25, there's your team, Fez, and Pittsburgh's a 17. So who's number one on the season and what's their percentage, McKenzie? The Saints at 32%, followed by the Bucks at 30. Okay. Well, that's interesting. So you're saying the Bucks on the season are the second best, but in the last eight games they're not even in the top five. Oh, oh, we didn't include the Bucks though. So include them. Yeah, include that. Because actually, I tell you, Bucks are the team. I think. Tell you this right now. One, we know what the Bucks did with Green Bay last time. It doesn't mean it would happen for sure. But I mean, what's your line right now? Tampa hosting Green Bay, uh, or I'm sorry, Green Bay hosting Tampa. So I've got Green Bay one point. Better. I'm not asking what you got on your power ratings. I'm asking what your line would be. Green Bay minus two and a half. Mm -hmm. And the fact that they Tampa won by 60 that first game, just ignore it. Yes. I mean, you sound like you're learning disabled. You're going to ignore that. It's not even a half-point adjustment. That, that, that one team dominated the other. Crushed them. I mean, how could that matter? <laughs> you know, I'd like to do a – I'd like to – when a team's – another research project the offseason, when a team gets punked by a team by, like, 20-plus – how do they do when they have a rematch? And is it predictive at all? I'm not sure it is. Oh. Are you sure it isn't? No. So you don't know anything? Yeah. <laughs> so it's not saying anything. So I think it's I think it'd be different if it's a division. Because if it's a division matchup and they usually don't dominate them, but they do, it feels like happenstance it feels like mm. but if you have a situation where these teams don't play all the time or in this case even more importantly you got brady and pretty much a wholly new constituted team and they are able to dominate an existing team it feels like it's like one of one it's not like how's tampa done against yeah. and the one of one is pure domination and i get it, the public's probably going to overreact to that but i don't think it should be zero i mean i don't know what it should be I mean, it feels like a point at minimum. So Bucks actually would only be six. They've been up and down. So they'd be behind Pittsburgh. That's right. 
And, but that includes their minus 110 against the Saints. Ooh, oofa. 38 to 3, and it wasn't that close. But it doesn't matter. Right. Wouldn't matter. That would if Tampa played the Saints again, would that matter? Well, they already played twice and got smacked around oh, so twice. The so second, they're making your point. It's the second time that matters, right? <laughs> All right. But I think it is actually, meaning that once if but in the case of the other one, Green Bay and Tampa, there isn't a chance really for a second. So thus we gotta say there's a, some chance it would happen a second time, yeah. and thus it's meaningful. But I agree with you. One time is a lot less important than if it had happened two out of two. But since it hasn't had a second chance, so just to repeat, because this is interesting, if they had played them the year before, same kind of teams, let's say, or earlier this year, and the second matchup wasn't a domination, now it's like it's one of two, it becomes less important, maybe meaningless. If they did dominate them multiple times in a row, it becomes extra meaningful, I think, because at some point it's a matchup. Yeah, and I can but, make... But lastly, if it's only been one time they played, you got to think, what's the odd... Even if it's a 50-50 that it would have happened the, the second time, you got to at least take half of that and give it to Green Bay or uh, give it to Tampa in this case. And I'd make the case the second game, the team that got destroyed has every extra motivation to play harder and to make the adjustments to turn things around, whereas the team that crushed them, yeah, we'll just go and do what we did. They got to stop it. No, I'd like to see it. It'd be a good matchup. Okay, next game. All right, down to the last game here. Carolina plus six and a half hosting New Orleans. Carolina's the team I want to play on. We talked about this early on in the year. All the changes in personnel. Duke. I wonder if New Orleans is even going to be motivated. <laughs> <laughs> they, will, they will be initially. So Carolina, last five games, quietly, they've gone 4-1 and one against the spread, a team that has improved uh, as the year has gone on and been pretty much under the radar. What's interesting now is that the over-under on Carolina to start the year was 5.5, and, and here they sit at 5. So this game will decide whether they exceed expectations or whether they fall short of expectations. But bottom line is New Orleans, is a, this, they are a team that has a 1-5 chance for this game to get them the number one seed. So it's not meaningless, but, boy, uh, that's nebulous. Is that going to be enough to get them to They put, have a better chance of the number one seed than – Green Bay has it the number two. They certainly certainly do. And I think that that's and I and I again this is the point I think you brought up, and I agreed with it that wow, New Orleans could certainly look at this game and and look at the scoreboard and say, ah, Green Bay 14, Chicago nothing. Let's not get anybody hurt in this game, and let's be sure that uh, Drew Brees is healthy. And because of that, that's an added bonus that Carolina may have in the second half. I've just decided I'm gonna play Buffalo as my second team. And it dawned on me that there's a meta game to this kind of bet that I'm not as familiar with. I, I've never done it, but it dawns on me. You want me to play Buffalo or you wanted me not to play Buffalo. I'm sorry. And, and now I understand the meta game is for me to win this bet. I have to win. It's not just keep Kansas city out. So if I have my new Orleans play green Bay, it's impossible for me to have one of my both of my teams in the Super Bowl. And you could say, well, but you're giving Buffalo a chance to beat Kansas City. And it's like that 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 isn't the issue. The issue is I don't want Kansas City to win and I want to win. And whoever beats Kansas City, I don't care. 
So it's not so much that I like, like I could almost assure my not that I could, but like I'd increase my chance of having one team in. I don't care if I. To me, I want to max my chance to win, and thus it's official. Um, but I don't fully understand the meta game on that. I'm guessing you do because you were. It's funny when you give answers that are too short. I'll give you a hint because I also want you to start talking more when we're betting because I'll gain from that. But. It feels like you were thinking about something related to the, this meta game. Can you share? Now that it's official? No, it doesn't go that deep. I just knew oh, that. Oh, yes, yes. Uh, You're such a facile thinker with money. I, I just think Buffalo at eight and New Orleans at seven and a half. New Orleans has a slightly better chance of winning the Super Bowl. I agree well, with those with the marketplace on that, largely because the path is harder. For who? For Buffalo, because they got to go through. Good chance they'll have to go through Kansas City. But. I mean, I guess if, if if someone doesn't have to go through Kansas City, then I guess I'm in good shape with the bet anyway, right? <laughs> I mean, so I'd almost rather the what I think. Yeah, see, I don't know. It, it does feel like that there's something here that I don't because I've heard. It's funny. I've I've read about these kind of bets before, and then then there was some feedback about this idea of about your desire for them to play each other is low. Do you agree with that? Like if I have two teams, I don't want them playing each other. Yeah, it does because now you feel like you only got to pick one team, right? In but the theory ways. is you've it, you're, you're certainly having them advance. Yeah, right. And that's, but you're picking the best team, so you expect they'd have greater than fifty percent chance in every game other than the game against Kansas City to advance. And now you got a team that's going to have less than a fifty percent chance. Why would you want that? Yeah, that's, I see. That's an interesting point. If you're if, if you're getting to handpick your teams and you think you're getting the best teams and then playing each other, and, and maybe ultimately it's too simplistic to think of it this way, but it precludes you from having two teams in the finals if they're in the same conference. Yes. Which seems like a negative not to have that chance. All right. So Buffalo, the Bills, also home field advantage, Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers. And Fez, probably, probably. And you've got the fourth or fifth, was it? I don't know. Best DVOA the last eight weeks on your side. Twenty three and one. And that, oh well, yeah, it's twenty three and one. That's awesome. Boy, Somebody get me a switch. No, I mean I think you're right. Maybe. I mean I'm not judging. Brace it, Fez. Cleveland has never in the past, what, 20 years had a winning season, RJ. What are the odds that they were going to do it this year? Like you said, very unlikely. So, Mackenzie, do you like my piece? Packers Bill sounds like a great Super Bowl. I'm looking forward to it already. <laughs> All right, so we're doing why well, we knew it dime. Dime to win 1350 for me. You want a hundred of that, Mackenzie? Yeah. I'm down. I'm gonna, it's, it's, I think it's time for me and you to team up on Fez a little bit. <laughs> Just give him about a year of it and see if he's ready to give up. When you bring in the chess set, Mackenzie. Oh, <laughs> Jesus Christ. Uh, you're like a sad old dude, like mad at the young guy. What? Get off my lawn. <laughs> it's not even about that. I don't think I could have got you like that even five years ago. Mm. <laughs> I don't disagree. And just think it's I the, don't disagree. I just think it's the, as, as you start slipping a little bit, you're the one that knows it. Remember the line in Goodwill Hunting when he goes, the old the old professor says, 
Well, there's only, there's only seven people in the whole world that can tell the difference between me and you. But I'm one of them. Like, you're aware. Most people on the outside can't even tell the difference. But you know. Like a chess player that uh, knows, well, my best games are behind me. Possibly. Maybe. Maybe not. Well, just think. Maybe if you work harder, you can make up for it. <laughs> All right. So that's it. So what other – give me the other games you've got even a strong – not even a pick so much, but rather a a point that's worth a point as I'm starting to think of calling something. I don't know what. You know, this Arizona Rams game, it's very interesting. So I think there's a correlation here. I don't think any of us know how good John Wolford is, the quarterback of the Rams. He's going to be replacing Goff. I do think that the Rams – How much has the line been adjusted? You see, the look-ahead line was Rams minus four. Now Arizona is minus three. Okay. So is Jared Goff – now, correct me if I'm wrong, but even though Kyler Murray is going to play, he's banged up, more banged up than he was. That's So right. if anything, this adjustment's been seven points plus – there's the negative of the bang-up factor. That's a great point, so yes. now we're moving, like, to nine, let's yes. say. Because we know Kyler Murray banged up is not near as good. He's like a Daniel Jones phenomenon. Exactly. So, with the so how, how in the F is Jared Goff nine over anyone? If we've seen anything from Mr. Danucci, Dominic Danucci, all the way down, these unknown quarterbacks are, are pretty decent. Well, like not the third stringers. I mean, what I'm saying is they're they're serviceable. They're not good. Heineke, Heineke looked good last week. Yeah, I mean, that's what I'm saying is it feels like that at least for a short game or two, at least the first game when you don't have film on them. Especially now, listen, this is a, a lot of people are down on Kingsbury as a coach. A lot of people. McVay is called the boy genius. It feels like the Rams not having tape. Or, or, I'm sorry, check that. Arizona not having tape on the Rams is a big deal because you know that, that uh, McVay will be able to exploit that. Yeah, it's a good point. And I just think there's, there's so much unknown here, but, you know, it doesn't feel right. Arizona minus three at the Rams absolutely seems like, boy, I could see this game being, what, 13-10, and I'm not sure who's going to be ahead here in the fourth quarter. It, it just has the feeling of an overreaction. Yeah, I agree. And I, listen, this is easy to read, but I read where, because this dude's undrafted, the, the Rams guy. And from what I understand is the OC from the Rams liked this guy a lot. Like it was a personal kind of, you know, mm. targeted undrafted free agent, whatever that means. Um, I don't like that the Rams seem to be playing him up because that that worries me. Because if you, if, you're, if you think you got a surprise spring on someone, you're not going to talk about how good he is. But maybe this is a next-level thing where they figure, if I talk about how good he is, people will think he's not good. Let's talk about games, and this Bills might be one if we double back, in which the winner or loser of the game has something to do with who makes the playoffs or who they play in the playoffs. So... With the Bills, the theory is if Miami wins, Miami's in the playoffs, and odds are pretty good, I guess, and I heard this on one of the shows, 
that it would be Bills Miami next week. Mm-hmm. So what, do we have any speculation about how much? Because if Buffalo wanted to play him, they pretty much could. Right? They can, you know, just sit down in the game. And again, they wouldn't try to lose. They would just play a lot of backups. Do you get any sense of does Miami want to play him again? I think Buffalo should want to play them, but I don't think that that's – I don't have any sense that that's what is on the radar screen. So you think amongst the potential playoff teams, Miami's the worst? Yes. Not even close? Not even close. What's what's Browns, Miami on neutral? All right, it's close. Browns are half a point better. Well, can't get closer now, can it? All right, but otherwise, there's a clear difference. Yes. All right, another scenario I think that it probably is applicable is the Steelers-Browns because the Steelers dominate the Browns just at many levels. We saw it earlier this year. Doesn't Why doesn't Pittsburgh want the Browns in there? You would think that they would. And, and, being, they, a savvy they play, a and being a savvy playoff team, I think, that that's used to being there, I think Pittsburgh would be much more likely to think about those circumstances. All right, so we've talked about where team – and let's talk about that Pittsburgh game real quick. This feels like another adjustment that's too big. So game would have been about pick him as the guess if, if, if Steelers were playing hard, and now it's nine. And it was ten earlier in some spots, you know, straight lines. Is Big Ben worth ten points now? No, he's, I've got him worth four, and frankly – That's generous. I agree. So what's going on here? I think there's an an ex, not there's an expectation that Pittsburgh's going to not necessarily sit starters, but may well pull players out starters at halftime. So Big Ben's a leading indicator. Yes. Okay. What do you think about the idea that because this is Mason Rudolph versus um, Miles Garrett, that that this motivates Pittsburgh? Oh, I think it does. All things being equal, if you're going to come with a street fight, you don't want to not show up, right? And so Pittsburgh having that extra incentive, I do think makes it less likely that they lay down against the Browns here. A lot of factors. All right, so Washington Eagles last game on the card Sunday, and it makes sense because that game, and it actually you know shows the brilliance of the TV guys. Because Dallas and Giants can't get spoiled. Somebody has to win. Someone wins, and then they're going to be waiting, right? Yeah. So that's pretty good. Uh, Alex Smith is questionable. How much of an upgrade over Heineke? Understanding he's probably hobbled. Two and a half points. Boy, Heineke steps up, huh? I really like what I saw from him, big time. And the fact that um, Haskins just got, you know, dismissed means the team has confidence in Heineke as well. Or lack of confidence in half. Probably a little bit of both, no doubt about it. But I, I got to be honest, I look I look at this Lion and Washington's favored, and Alex Smith isn't going to be 100% if he plays. He didn't practice today. This sure looks like Washington is getting massively priced into the must-win circumstance to the point where I could only look to the Eagles. That's a good point. This is probably the macro point, the macro point. If something is known by the public, odds are it's overvalued. It's overaccounted for. If all you could do is fade every must-win team, quote-unquote, or play on them, I would want to fade them. You agree with that? Yes. Okay. Because Philly on the look-ahead was minus four. 
-hmm. And I could just see the odds makers when they're thinking about where we're going to open this game. Well, we know everyone's going to say Washington's must-win situation and they're in the playoffs. All right, how far can we possibly juice this to try to get equal action? We'll bring it all the way to pick them, right? And even at that, I think actually I saw Philly open minus one. So even with a three-point adjustment, the, the betters are like, oh, we don't care. It's a must-win for Washington. We're going to back Washington. Seems like wanting to give Hurts a chance to show his truth, you know, how good he is. Combined with the fact that Peterson's job's on the line, they have no desire not to win this game. Oh, yeah, Philly will absolutely bring it. So then how is there any motivation edge? Well, I think the win and be in the playoffs, it goes back to the 11 versus the 10, I right? think sometimes the pressure can be a negative. Mm. I agree that there is that next level, but the question is, does it come with pressure or is it like revenge or something that isn't really about pressure? We know all you got to do is look at the free throw percentages with games on the line. Pressure affects people. Mm -hmm. I think if you're motivated without pressure, it's better to be than motivated with pressure. Washington's best wide receiver, TJ McLaren, is questionable for the, this game. He's really important to the offense. And even if he plays, I don't think he'll be 100%. Okay. Titans, Texans, seven and a half for Titans. What do you got? This line looks so high to me. So Watson hurt his hand at the end of the game against the Bengals. The only way this line makes sense is if Watson is compromised and is not 100%. And I can't imagine Houston's looks like they're going to play him. I don't think they'd put him out there. If he wasn't close to 100%, I could only look to Houston. Okay. Patriots, Jets. <laughs> Patriots, a three-point <laughs> home Favorite, um, so Jets should have beat the Raiders. So that would have been three wins in a row? Mm hmm I mean, where if the season started with that Raiders game, where's the Jets? Maybe 14th in your power rankings? Yes. So what do we do with that? Uh, I don't know what to do with it. You know, the Jets. Well, they, Se they, Seattle did beat them 40-3 to three after the Raiders oh, game. Oh, okay, good yep. point, good point. Good catch. And, uh, you know, the Jets should have beat New England. The Jets were 75% first game right around there at the end of the game to win that game. So part of me thinks, oh, you know, the Jets are thinking, you know, they're walking with a little swagger. And they're like, hey, we, we beat these, these guys on the field the first time we played. We can get them here. <sighs> on the other hand, the Jets certainly caught breaks. The Rams were flat. And Cleveland with the no wide receivers. So... Both of their wins. Well, you gotta... listen, if we're going to bow down to the almighty market and the line was 17 or 17 and a half, mm -hmm. the fact the Rams were flat was assumed it was a possibility and the line was 17, right? And yeah. the line was whatever it closed out. What was it? Six and a half in Cleveland. So when you win those That's games, right. say it again. That's right. Sorry. Yeah. So when you win those games, it's something that you can't just say, oh, there's some two-point factor and then wave your hand at it. Yep. It's just ass nine. And I know the Jets are going to play hard. And New England? Because in a way, the Jets are the flip side of Jacksonville. Or not the flip side, same side of the same coin. They got no reason to lose now. They're locked into the second exactly. pick. Exactly. And we got a question. This New England team's never been the circumstance. And frankly, they just completely laid an egg at uh, six I and disagree eight. with that. You feel like it was a lack of effort against the Bills? In the second half. I think, listen, once again, when a team's getting dominated, at what point 
Is it just human? I mean, who's going to keep fighting like it's, you know, I mean, if there's any time to let down, it's there. But they play just as hard when it's competitive. They did. Which brings up a point. I think if you like the dog in these kind of situations, a bigger dog, you take him on the money line. And if you like the favor, you lay the lumber or maybe you do a pleaser because literally if the game starts getting out of hand, it gets out of hand. Mm-hmm. There's something there. All right, so Tampa just played the Falcons week before last. And so, one, Tampa needs to win to get the five that would allow them to play the NFC East. So I think there's extra motivation. I agree. Normally, I don't give a rat's ass if I'm going to be the fifth or the sixth seed, right? But this, with this year, when I get that NFC East, I mean, what is Tampa Bay going to be against at Washington? They're probably going to be laying five, right? So as opposed to if they slip to the number six seed, now they're going to be a dog on the road. So this game means a lot to Tampa Bay. But now here's an interesting question. Atlanta covered against Tampa two weeks ago. But the first half of the game, Atlanta dominated. The second half, Tampa dominated. Is it potential? Remember now, this is a different Falcons team with Morris, and it's a different Tampa Bay team with Brady. In a way, you could say it was the first time they ever played each other. And if it was a random, you know, win by Tampa that didn't cover, it's one thing, but it was domination one way and then domination the other. Isn't the second way more important because it's the most recent? It could very well be, hey, we got them figured out, right? Because whatever was happening early, Tampa didn't know what to do. They figured it out and dominated from there. Now, there's a chance Atlanta makes another move or whatever, but the last state we saw was Tampa having figured out Atlanta. You've got to account for that. Yeah, and I think what we saw what was— What you saying? Yeah, like explain so in the first thing. In the first game, Tampa looked to establish the run, and they were completely unsuccessful in that game, and it really bogged down their offense. It put them in a lot of third and eights and the like. And the second half, they said, screw this, and they just passed all over Atlanta with great success. And now, So with- do we like the over? I think we do, especially because Ronald Jones, the one good running back that um, Tampa has, is probably going to miss this game as well. Still coming off COVID with the broken finger. Leonard Fournette is not a nearly as good a back right now for Tampa. And the fact that, like you said, they had all that success throwing the ball. Atlanta had no answer. Why not more of the same the entire game in this game? Mackenzie, give me a year-by-year year on that. Maybe just let's, let's go from 2012 on. We're looking at what what happens when a team loses against a team that they played. Um, to oh, since since 2012, the losing team is 58 percent against the spread. Okay, and w- and what's the uh, ATS on that? The the actual numbers? 41 and 56 for the uh, winning team. So 56 and 41. All right. So if you play a team one week and then two more weeks goes on, do me one more favor. Say that the most recent game, the second game, is after week 10 or later. I want to see if late in the season has any effect. Would it matter if you won and didn't cover? No. I mean, it could, but to some degree, uh, you start kind of data mining like yeah. that. It's like, what's the logic? That's at 56% after week 10. Okay, so bye. Okay, so the, it does seem to be something that the losing team... You know, I could see that matter, Steve, uh, because, well, there'd be two ways. One, you could say the team that lost felt like they had a chance, that's they're motivated. 
You could also say the other team underperformed and they're motivated. Yeah. Okay. Um, so finish up on the under or on the over, why you like that in Tampa? It's just because more passing, you think, because of the way that first game went? Yeah, no success at all. Running the ball, I don't have my number one running back for this game. If I'm Tampa, they the second half, Atlanta couldn't stop us at all throwing the ball. Why not keep doing that, especially because – Let's face it, last week, Tampa just threw, threw the ball nonstop with great success as well. On a 2-0 win streak, the Bengals, 12.5-point underdogs. If I recall, you bet the Bengals in this matchup first time around. Joe, I have a little yellow. Your handicap was Joe Burrow. I have a little yellow sticky Joe here. Joe Burrow. Don't bet Baltimore games, Fez. And if you do, they're a bully when they're big favorites. Joey backdoor. Only look towards Baltimore. But I'm going to pass. Joey backdoor. Do you consider the Ravens to be the best, second-best team ever? <laughs> what year? Ever. No. Because okay. remember earlier, you remembered it, what you said, right? Yes. I've never seen two teams that have separated themselves more in my ratings than <laughs> the Kansas City Chiefs and the Baltimore Ravens to start the year. Have you recalibrated that assessment? Yeah, there's, there's been some adjustments to ball. Although I still have Baltimore, my fifth-best team right now. Well, yeah, I mean, you love Baltimore. Clearly. And we talked well, about But you seem to bet again. It seems like you're like 0 for 9 betting on Baltimore. It's, I think it's worse. I, but the, the Baltimore. You think at some point you might stop. There has to be two power At ratings. some point you might stop, huh? Or get it right. And, well, and, but that's and, the whole point is if you get, <laughs> trying to get it right is why you won't stop. Yeah. You probably should just accept you're, you're going to be down regardless. If not, if the Cleveland laterals at the end of the game didn't teach me a lesson, then I'm just cursed in Baltimore games. Oh, so is that, well. is that just code for you should have won that game? Pushed. Yeah, you should have pushed or whatever. God darn this guy and his excuses. All right. Oh, here we go. The Chiefs and the Chargers. The great Chiefs are three and a half point underdogs. I'm going to look towards first half and second half. There's no first half lines up. But it certainly makes sense to me that I could see Kansas City winning the first half and then emptying the bench completely, and I'm not sure they're going to get the pricing right when they put up the first half and the second half lines on this. So are you more interested in that theory with the Chiefs in the first half or the Chargers in the second? Probably both. All right. Last game, Raiders, Broncos. Broncos at home, two-and-a-half-point underdogs. You know – this line really surprised me in that Vegas opened up one. And I was like, why is Vegas favored in this game? That surprises me. And then the money moved opposite what I expected. So there's, there's big money on Vegas up to two and a half. And I always hate it when a line moves opposite of what I expected. Yeah, because why would you want the better number? Well, I'm thinking I missed something, obviously. <laughs> and I don't know what I missed on this game. I just can't see how the Raiders are excited about this game. After, especially the way they gave away the Miami game, uh, I could only look towards Denver. i got to be honest. I don't think people realize how bad the Raiders have been playing. So do me a favor, McKenzie. Go back to the Atlanta game. Let's take the net average of the DVOA in the games, including the Atlanta game, and then compare that to the current 1 through 32. Where would the Raiders be? Got it. I'm thinking they might be last. Like, since, you know... I really do. And remember, is if you take slivers of time, in general, it's going to lend towards more extreme results because it's easier to be extreme over the short time. So They'd be third to last. 
Okay, who would be like? Oh, I guess it's on the season. So Jets and Jacksonville. That's right. Jets are still the worst or second worst? They're still the worst. Damn. All right, any closing thoughts, Fat? I think more so than any week, we want to look towards and live wagering. The fact that don't get married to what the closing number is because our confidence level in these lines being right is much less than a midweek type of valuation. So there a, could a midweek or midseason. A midseason, thank you. So in midseason, when a team's an eight-point favorite, I'm like they're an eight-point favorite for a reason. There's going to be some games that potentially you talk about, like the Pittsburgh-Cleveland game. For all we know, we might look back in this game and say, "Wow, this game should have been pick'em." Well, we but, just don't know. But what you're saying is that means that there's more opportunity. Yes. And also, you don't want to tease. Points are just, you know, less predictive these lines are. The more opportunity there is, but less you want to tease because you're effectively buying points that are worth less. I think that's a great, great point because the um, it wouldn't shock me at all to see the Saints, like, lose by 20 points this week, right? I also think that the flip side of that is pleasers in different ways. You know, don't be afraid to bet the, I think the money on underdog for more reasons than one, if you like the dog, because they're going to price it normally, but the idea of being off by 12 points or whatever is not that extreme. Yeah. And we talk about that right in the, in the college bowl games, how it's oftentimes questionable motivation, right? So oftentimes a 10 point dog in a bowl game has a much better chance of winning straight up than during the regular season. Yes. Really good stuff. Remember, I'll be tweeting stuff out at RJ in Vegas. Also, Fezzik Sports, F-E-Z-Z-I-K. Have a happy new year. Be safe. And we'll close with this truism. And the money always wins.